this is Me, Toku, and Everyone We Know, a podcast by friends watching Japanese science fiction and fantasy media from Kaiser to Zerum. I'm Kyle. And I'm Quincy. Quincy, we waited 10,000 years for this moment. Take the baton of justice. What are we watching? We're watching Ogon Bato, or uh, Ogon Bat slash Golden Bat. Golden Bat. Um, a wild fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, just, hey, do you like mummies that just whip the shit out of people with a stick? Because if so, you're in luck. This is the movie for you. Do you like lasers and skull-headed superheroes and a weird guy in a onesie pajama that's apparently an evil alien scientist? Good luck. (laughs) Is he a scientist? Is the villain really into science, or is he just into having a claw <laughs> i had to look this up so because there is no explanation of movies to who anyone is beyond golden bat is an immortal super mummy that fights evil um the villain is dr nazo he's a space scientist from space okay. with four eyes that is not <laughs> evident from watching this film not at all. so i want to give a little background on golden bat just for um listeners who might not have heard of this frankly bizarre franchise also um, out of print film <laughs> deeply out of print film <laughs> I, I did find that there are several um etsy listings and ebay listings for it yes. so so i know that there are people doing the lord's work who are you know just burning dvdrs whenever <laughs> you need to watch something that doesn't have a north american release uh they can yeah. help you so golden pet is the first what we would think of today as a superhero. He debuted in 1930. I had to look this up. I was wrong about the dates I mentioned during, the, during our watch session. Um, 1930, predating Superman, predating Batman, predating Captain Marvel slash Shazam, predating The Shadow, even. Um, he originated in... I do not remember how to say the word, but it's a form of Japanese um, spoken word theater where the storyteller puts up, like, still paintings or prints of the action sequences and narrates them to a crowd with sound with, like, hand-done Foley effects on the spot. Which apparently was just a popular form of street corner entertainment back in the uh, 20s and 30s in Japan. Um, you can still find at, like, festivals, people that will tell you the story of Golden Bat. Yeah, so uh, Kamishibai is uh, Japanese for paper play. There and it it's just uh, a storyteller with a box with pieces of paper. Um, uh, one of my favorite uh, comic book characters, um, Kitaro, is also has his origins in Kamishibai. Uh, Shigeru Mizuki kind of cut his teeth in art uh, by drawing these these paper um, panels. That's uh, beautiful. After he was discharged from the army. Yeah, so Golden Bat is uh, named after a brand of cigarettes, apparently. Also wild. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Quincy, tell us about this movie. What is this? What did we watch? So what this happened? comes out in 1966 from Toei. And um, help me refresh my memory. What year did um, Ultraman come out? Ultra Q was 66. I think Ultraman starts in 66 and crosses to 67. Yeah, so it's very much right here at the beginning of the formula for a lot of tokusatsu Mm -hmm. superhero shows. It is, there's a science problem, a meteor is on its way on a collision course to Earth, 
Um, they can't blow it up because an evil space scientist is thwarting all their efforts to save Earth because he's a dick. Uh, and the science, the team of good scientists, which is always in one of these shows, decides that their only hope is to turn towards mythology, and they find a literal immortal super mummy that's been asleep for 10,000 years, and they wake him up, and a little girl who's inexplicably on the science team, I guess it's because she's literally grandfathered in. Her grandfather yeah. run is the is the leader, so yeah. she gets to just tag along. Uh, she befriends this super mummy, and he gives her a bat, uh, golden bat brooch, and whenever she's in trouble, she has a 10,000-year-old mummy come uh, help her. Yeah, it's a weird cast because you would expect, like, they introduced the the teenage astronomy whiz very early on, who, like, spots this rogue planet. This is also, like, an early 20th century, mid-century conceit. Um, Japan loves the 10th planet in terms of, like, science fiction. It shows up in um, in Invasion of the Astro Monster. It shows up here. It shows up in 2001 Nights. Um, under different names, you know, it's Planet X, it's Lucifer. In this case, it's uh, it's Icarus, the planet beyond Pluto, um, has come loose from its orbit. This teenager spots it on his home telescope and tries to tell the police, and they laugh at him. Try to tell the observatory, they laugh at him. And then the literal men in black kidnap this teenager, take him to their secret hideout in the Japanese Alps. And And what's undeniable is even the entrance to the lab is very much what uh, they took from the film Men in Black uh, starring Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Will Smith. It's hard to think that they didn't see this and copy it and figure no one remembers this movie. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. They go into this like abandoned tourism center in the Alps. A secret elevator takes them down to a brightly colored chamber of science miracles and I don't think we ever really, really hear from the teenager very much after that. He's in all the scenes, but he has, like, no more lines. Yeah, the, because that's when we meet Sonny Chiba, <laughs> the young heartthrob Sonny Chiba, before he was walking um, fruit leather. <laughs> He's the hero for the rest of the film. He is. And his uh, co-hero, second-in-command, um, Naomi, played by um, Hisaku Tsukube, who, um, interesting with trivia, she's the executive producer of the entire Piranha film franchise. You've seen Piranha, right, Quincy? Oh, yes. They're, Piranha, it's, Piranha it was 2, Jaws, Piranha but 3D, with Piranhas. Piranha 3 Double D. She is the director, EP, on every single Piranha film. <laughs> she doesn't act much. She acted in a couple things in the 50s and 60s in Japan, and then is like, I'm going to move to America and produce. <laughs> throw my money yeah. at stuff. Um, yeah, but not? yeah, it's it's again a very ultra Q, very mm-hmm. Ultraman um, science patrol messes with monsters from outer space. Yeah, the uh, the Pearl Institute in this case is the science patrol stand-in. Um, as far as I can tell, they just do super astronomy and make and, giant mean, lasers. To be fair, even going back to Gojira. Um, you know, it is scientists with their know-how that are going to defeat the otherworldly problem. Yeah. So it's really a very, like, education is very valued in Japanese science fiction. Yeah, and this is that post-war science fiction where they may be getting a little less... It's got a little bit of that uh, that 
um, War Years nostalgia to it to an extent, but it's also very much um, we are working, you know, for peace. We are doing science instead of building up a massive army. We are oh yeah, it's making definitely... a giant laser gun, but to defend the Earth. <laughs> right. It's no longer. Um the Mysterians, where it's like these awful aliens who are very clearly a metaphor for Japanese, for American occupation. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of mellowed out, for lack of a more uh, delicate way to put it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so they uh, they wake up the Super Mummy, they fight a bunch of identical dudes in black jumpsuits. Again, who... very Tokusatsu <laughs> yeah. conceit of these Let's space just fill a room with dudes. <laughs> just fill a room with like stunt, barely trained stuntmen, and have a man in a gold lame suit hit them with a stick. Um, the the aliens have kind of unspecified whatever powers I've noticed. Like they can sometimes walk through walls if they press on them really hard. Um, there's one scene where they stick to a ceiling to shoot at the, at the good guys, and then that never comes up again. They also are able to body swap with the humans. Yeah. Yeah, so the, there um, are multiple, multiple reveals of, oh, you're not the person you said you were. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the sexy lady alien Piranha swaps places with a good science lady Naomi. And again, that actress who plays Naomi would go on to EP all of the Piranha movies. <laughs> I think it's also notable that, again, you have a legion of generic goons, but then mm-hmm. you have the lieutenants of uh, Dr. Nazo, who mm-hmm. all have very distinctive makeup yeah. features. Yeah. You have Piranha, Piranha is... who is your femme fatale. Yeah. Uh, you uh, also have armor. Jackal, which is basically a, a werewolf makeup. He's a Lon Chaney wolfman. <laughs> and then you have Keloid, who is an A-bomb victim. And I was, I'm not sure what they're saying there. Yeah. He's, he's horribly scarred and diabolical and they all have the same pointy eyebrows. Um, and they're all get their like underboss fights with golden bat before golden Mm -hmm. bat finally has to fight Dr. Nazo in the, in the third act of the film. Um, man, so, where do you want to start with this, like, breakdown? Do you want to go fashion? Because there's some fashion choices. I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> Literal gold lame jumpsuits. Yeah, everyone gets a gold lame jumpsuit eventually. The good guy's, like, standard duty uniform is, like, this nice, like, white turtleneck sweater with suspenders. Um, The space got... outfits are, like, bedazzled with glitter. <laughs> They've got that very, like, Ultraman-style, like, um, field gear where they're wearing, like, a, a safety-colored suit, but it's, like, a LeMay glitter suit. They've got the helmet with the big bubble visor that flips all the way around. Um, most of the props look like surplus World War II gear, but with, like, some extra tubes glued on. But, like, kind of in that pretty, Like, in the way barely. that Star Wars had a bunch of um, UK... Uh, yeah. surplus. This is very clearly Japanese surplus, but spray paint silver. Yeah, the spray paint silver. They stick like a metal pipe over the end of the some of the gun barrels. Sometimes they stick a little flashlight to them, and that's about as much effort as you get. Um, 
I will say the laser effects are very good for 1966. Yes, it's just it's, it's a lot they're precise. Of, Everything points yeah. in the direction that it should be pointing when they're shooting beams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which you don't always get in yeah. Tokusatsu, <laughs> especially in some of the Gamera movies. Uh, those <laughs> beams are just all over the place. Um, <laughs> yeah. There is a robot tower. Can we call it a robot? I, it's like a giant metal, like a like a squid, right? It's a drill with a face. It's a drill it's, bit with a face. It's a drill with a face, but it lives underwater until it burrows up through Japan. Yeah, I don't know and what it it's shoots supposed to lasers be. out of its eyes. Yeah, but then it's revealed to just be the base. So I don't yeah. know if that counts as a as like a giant robot or not. They just call it the Nazo Tower. Yeah. Because the face is Dr. Nazo's face. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because when you're a supervillain, you just put your face on everything. Yeah. Hey, it worked for Dr. Doom. It did. <laughs> also, Dr. Claw. Uh, Dr. Claw, yeah. It, it's a it's a solid gimmick. Just keep that up. <laughs> um. Oh, gosh, yeah. So, um... so I, I really want to <laughs> drill down on... <laughs> the fights in this because they okay. really are just golden bat he has a baton yeah that sometimes shoots lasers but is mostly a stick with which he beats people with just a whipping stick and he is just giggling and slapping dudes in their gut is this supposed to have a horror element because his laugh is maniacal like he's in a haunted house yeah, he has an evil laugh, kind of. He, it's, he well, it's looks the shadows like one laugh. of the monsters from the haunted house in the Telegian movie. <laughs> it really is. Um, he's it's got he's got that shadowed laugh, which I know again. Um, as I said, he predates the shadow as a character, but not as a concept. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. The shadow in the radio plays was originally the narrator of unrelated mystery stories. That it would be introed with that, you know, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Ha 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 ha. Golden Bat does the same fucking, like, cackling, I am the defender of justice. Ha 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 ha. Kind of cackle. And Just constantly. <laughs> Just a giggly that, boy. <laughs> that skull mask. I mean, he is a mummy. He's got he is a, a mummy. No lips, skull, no nose for a face. But yeah, also, no <laughs> he's like a beloved child hero. Because again, like um, a lot of these films, there's the spunky kid who gets mm -hmm. to call upon him when she's in trouble. And he turns from a bat into this mummy. Yeah. Is he is he the brooch? I'm really unclear on how Golden Bat functions, to be it, honest. It is unclear because it seems like what happens is the brooch is a lot like the bat signal. When um, Emily is in trouble, she says, Oh no, um, Golden Bat, help. And the bat flies off of her shirt and flies away. And then Golden Bat like jumps through a window. So I yeah. cannot tell if that's meant to be a transformation sequence. Because again, this film is very into... Uh, it's a very tight budget. Yeah. Um, it does they not stretch. look cheap. But you can tell that they're very smart with stretching their dollars every time mm -hmm. there should be wire work actors just jump off of um jump out of the frame 
Yeah, so they, they do just a quick get all jump the goons to jump up at once and then cut to them landing six feet away. Yeah, the uh, but I mean the cinematography though is great. Like the cuts are good, the panning is good. There's some legit like creepy ass Hitchcockian like shots in this too. Yeah, especially like... once they enter the tower, yeah. and um, even before that, when they're in Golden Bat's tomb, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like really atmospheric. You've got uh, like uh, when Piranha is sneaking around the base, and they've just lit her eyes as she's creeping down the hallway with the Geiger counter. Um, and yeah, they get into the Nazotar after it's been you know collided with by a flying submarine, and everything's at a Dutch angle because the tower is tilted. Now, is this a backdoor pilot for a television series? It feels like it, right? Like, it feels like we watched a season of a show cut down into, like, 90 minutes. Yeah, because, I mean, Toei does also put out a lot of tokusatsu TV. Yeah. Um, they, I don't think they were at this point. This was just a standalone film. It was just a film based on the comic. Um, the next year, the Golden Bat anime did start running, I think, in 67. Yeah. So, so maybe it was um, that's also a lost. test of, of uh, concept, proof of concept, yeah. and then animation is cheaper than live-action special effects. Yeah, and the Golden Man anime, I've seen a little bit of it. It's um, semi-lost, um, just because it's from 1967, and as we know from other things, stuff just doesn't always get preserved, you know? Yeah. Sad um, fact of existence. Disposable um, culture was not appreciated the same way that we do we appreciate it now yeah um it ran the cartoon ran in um i want to say mexico italy i think spain i think this the dub for spain was the one that was rebroadcast in mexico um as uh phantom man or phantom of the phantom man or phantomas in some cases when they could get around the copyright for phantomas <laughs> um i'm related to the french uh supervillain um, there is also apparently an English dub that was produced but never aired. And that's kind of like the holy grail of, like, lost anime in a lot of ways. Oh, man, that's wonderful. Like it was, um, I think, produced for the Hawaiian market and just never materialized there. Um, uh, was it Nippon Gold Broadcast or something like that? There's a... Um, there's a there was at least a uh, cable paid cable network in Hawaii that just ran Japanese programming with either English subtitles or um, South Pacific produced English dubs, and I believe Golden Bat was one of those shows that was like made for that and never actually materialized on the on the program. I believe there are other animes too, aren't there? Sequels to the missing anime. I'm not sure, honestly. There are three movies. There's a 1950s movie that I've never seen a copy of. There is the one that we watched. There's a sequel, semi-sequel movie that is a um, autobiography of Golden Bat, where he is a uh, incompetent bungler. You know, uh-huh. one of those good old slapstick comedies. What There's it also makes sense because cor- he literally yeah. just whips people almost yeah. to an absurd level with a stick. There's a Korean remake, which I think I do have a VHS tape of this film somewhere, um, where they take a prominent uh, Korean uh, variety comedian and pair him as Golden Bat's sidekick. Um, And it's mostly the same costumes and sets as this, just in the 70s. 
So, speaking of costumes, we've got to talk about Dr. Nazo. Dr. Nazo's um, Snorlax pajamas? Yeah. He's just in a oversized mascot costume. <laughs> Weirdly fitted, like, carpet, just draping his entire body. <laughs> Four eyes represented by basically flashlights yeah. <laughs> mounted like... in carpet. It's like two, it's four lenses. I think there's like two lights behind them. I think only one of them really lights up regularly. Yeah. <laughs> and a fucking metal claw. A metal like lobster claw on one hand and three fingers on the other. And, and spoiler no alert, explanation. He can shoot the claw off of his arm. <laughs> no explanation as to what he is, where he comes from. We know he hates the earth, and that's all we get. Oh, and he doesn't <laughs> walk. He's in a. Um, rotating, he's like on a rotating dais that's uh, waist high, and he never yeah. gets out of it. Even in the final fight, he just like swivels and fights he Golden rotates. Bat. He uh, shoots a laser, like an ray out of his eye, the little concentric circle beam, and he Which is throws the same his claw. as the tower does. Yeah, same as the tower. Um... The miniatures are really good in this film, too. We don't talk a lot about shows with minis because we're mostly focusing on shows with suitmation, people in you know big rubber monster costumes. Mm-hmm. But the, the models of the cars in this um, movie are really cool, and you can mm-hmm. tell there's a lot of detail put into that. Yeah, the UFO car in the Secret Mountain base looked really good. Um, the flying submarine for its 30 seconds of screen time is great. I think the 30 seconds has a significant amount to do with that, too. Yes. It's just, you know, the faster they could put it on the screen and take it off, the less uh, a viewer has time to deconstruct the shot and, and kind of... The shine doesn't fall off the apple. Right. And it, but, like, the tower looks legit good. It's a good model. When it comes up out of the, the miniature like model train set that they filmed this thing on, it looks pretty good splitting these, you know, cardboard buildings in half and stuff. It's actually pretty effective. The uh, island that sinks early on, that looks pretty solid. Yes, that's uh, excellent. Oh, by the way, um, I think I'd be remiss to not mention that Golden Bat is in the (laughs) sunken city of Atlantis. Oh, yes. Where there are Buddha mummies. Because, of course... (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, the, uh, Atlantis is man. Atlantis also very popular in the mid-century in Japan. Especially, it shows up in Godzilla versus Megalon. It shows up in uh, or versions of it show up in um, what's it called? Uh, Giant Gorg, the anime series. Um, there was a real, um, real hot burn for um, pseudoscience in Japanese sci-fi from like 1950 all the way through 1990. I would say. And, I'm and this film it. does have a really nice uh, reverse the polarity style gobbledygook for a while when they're talking <laughs> about how they're going to defeat this planet Icarus and mm-hmm. um, use the laser and it's got to have the ruby that is you know in the projector and of course the ruby gets stolen and they got to find that MacGuffin yep. and, and all of that for a while. Can we talk about how the moon gets blown up in this? 
Yeah, the moon gets blown up, and they don't make a big deal about it. It's insane. I think Mars also gets blown up. I I want to say Icarus, colli- Icarus collides with a planet on its way to Earth, and the only planet that's not a gas giant between, you know, Pluto and Earth, or between that part of the between where it was and Earth, is like Mars, right? Yeah. Like to be visible, it has to go. It you got from Earth, you can see Venus, which is after us or before us, Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter. So I think it smashes through Mars first, and then the moon, and they're like, oh, the moon has been destroyed. That's all it gets mentioned. Yeah, <laughs> like haven't... it wouldn't change all of the tidal patterns of the entire globe. <laughs> I was expecting them to just, like, park Icarus there as the new moon. But no, no, they still blow it up while it's closer to us than the moon. Um, if anyone out there is an astrophysicist, please tell us what would happen if a Pluto-sized planet exploded within the lunar orbit. Yes, please. Please, please also, email go us. go ahead and, and further elucidate what would happen if the moon exploded. If the moon collided with another planet in its orbit, please tweet us at TokuWeKnow. So Kyle, what, do you, what would you grade this film? Oh my god, I loved every second of it. You know, I like to like things. Yes. And also, I I don't have a teaching certification, so I'm bad at grades. (laughs) I'd say this is a very... I I would say this is an A- because it it hits... It ticks all the tokusatsu boxes, Mm -hmm. but it's just weird enough that I'm hesitant to hand it to uh, someone as their foes first. Yeah. So I'd say an A- minus for me. Yeah. It is one standard unit of tokusatsu superhero stuff, but it is also... There's an immortal super mummy, and they blow up the moon. And like, they have a rubber bat spray-painted gold on a just stick. Just a hollow express just, bat. And they're just... <laughs> nemulating around. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would definitely, yeah, I'd say an A minus because it's 1966. They were, again, we're still establishing the conceits of this uh, genre, um, and go hard on the weird. Yeah, it, that's a solid. Watch this if you can find it. If you can get a hold of it, if you're down for just something that is not going to make a whole lot of sense, but is going to be a good time, good laugh, good laughing, good whipping. <laughs> Definitely, if you're um, now, there is a region two DVD, I believe. Yeah, um, I think the last printing might even have. Um, I don't know if it has English subs on the on the Japanese DVD or not. I've seen it, but um, it's listed for prohibitively expensive yeah. prices. But um, you know, keep an eye out. Maybe someone out there will be. Uh, not know what they have, and you can score this for a good deal. It's definitely worth it if you're the kind of person that likes to collect media and go that extra mile to find it. Yeah, maybe Toei will put this on their YouTube channel one day, or Shout Factory. Please, Shout Factory, just get this one out of the archives. Please, please, Shout Factory, oh do it for me. <laughs> I have to. I have to. I'll give I really you want a like a four K restoration. Bill. I want like one of those Mill Creek restorations. Yeah. <laughs> one of those vinegar <laughs> syndromes for this thing. Oh man. <laughs> Give me the Ogan Bat Steel Book. <laughs>
<laughs> so, Man, Kyle, I, where can our listeners find us on the internet? So, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Toku. No. Uh, we will tweet out uh, animated GIFs, screenshots from the movies, uh, movie posters, and related nonsense. Um, Quincy, where can they find you and what you do on the internet? Uh, listeners can find my other podcast, uh, Rank and Vile, on Instagram at Rank and Vile and on Twitter at Rank and Vilecast. And we're on your favorite podcasting apps. Fantastic. You can also find us on whatever uh, pods are cast. There'll be a little stinger with all of our contact information again at the end. Thanks for listening, folks, and uh, be kind to each other. Thanks for listening to me and Toku and everyone we know. Our show comes out twice a month at tokuwino.cast.rocks, and if I've built this correctly, you can also find us on Google, iTunes, and anywhere else that pods are cast. Our intro music is Friendship Blast OK by Ryan Boyd. Make sure to check out Ryan and Quincy's other show, Rank and Vile, at rankandvile.podbean.com. It's a spooky show about scary movies. And we'll see you in two weeks. どこどこどこから来るのかオンバーッと秘密のマントは正義の印さっと空飛ぶ魔の力地球の平和を